we doing this morning, Rise? Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. It has only taken nine years for me to get Chris to call me Pastor Jason. Finally, some respect around here. Oh, man. Hey, somebody asked the other day, they're like, why do you guys like make a big deal um, out of like anniversaries? Like, it's just March. It's kind of no big deal. I'm like, oh, you haven't been to one yet. It is a moment in time where we get to look back and reflect on the works of Jesus in our church and in our city, amen? We get to see what he's brought about, his grace and his goodness. When, when the Israelites crossed over into the promised lands, he told, God told them, hey, gather up stones and create a memorial that you would look back and remember the works of your God. And so that's what days like this are all about, that we would stop and look back over the last nine years and celebrate what God has been doing and how he's been moving. Um, and it is a, a moment in time to acknowledge God's work in people's lives through the celebration of baptism. We have uh, 14 people signed up to get baptized today, and we are fired up about it. <clears throat> So what we've been doing as a church is we've been working our way through this epistle to the Galatians. It's a letter, and it's an overview from Paul. Of He's basically saying, hey, I planted this church, and it's starting to get off, and I want to remind you of what kind of church you need to be. One way to phrase that is this idea of what kind of culture this church should have. Now, here's what we need to understand about culture is every single organization, uh, every church, even every restaurant, it has a culture. Okay, think, think about restaurants with me for a second, okay? Uh, you walk into McDonald's. Why do you walk into McDonald's? You're saying, I'm hungry and I need something convenient, right? Why do you walk into Burger King? You're hungry, I need something convenient, and I couldn't find a McDonald's. Nobody chooses Burger King, you know what I'm saying? I still, I'm like, how are they around, right? Uh, wh- why do you walk in in and out? You're like, I'm hungry, and I don't want to make a decision. I would rather drive 44 miles to Kaiser, Oregon, <laughs> Then make a decision about what we're going to eat. You, you walk up, they're like, here's your food. You don't even order. They just, how many people? Here's your food. There's, there's no decision. Why do you go to Chick-fil-A? You're hungry, and it must be Sunday, because for some reason I crave Chick-fil-A every Sunday, right? You're, you're going to walk away from here like, oh, man, I'm feeling full, but I still crave Chick-fil-A. That's the secret ingredient in the sauce. They make you crave it on Sundays. I don't know why they do that. So Monday, they're packed up. Okay, Bacelli's. Why do you walk into Bacelli's, right? You're hungry, and I want to feel a little bit bougie today, right? Like, I don't even know if that's, they, they intentionally misspelled restaurant, just so you feel more bougie. You know, it's all fancy. Okay, why do you walk into Olive Garden? I want to feel bougie, but I'm on a budget, okay? <laughs> right? Like, let's be reasonable here. Sugar Pine. Why do you go to Sugar Pine? You say, I'm hungry, and I need to post something for my Instagram. You know what I'm saying? This is why I will spend $7 on ice cream, just so I can post it and get the likes, right? That's, that's why you go in Sugar Pine. And why do you go to La Coretta? You're really, really hungry, and you don't care that your, sm- your clothes smell like the restaurant for the next month. <laughs> No big deal, right? See, here's what I need you to understand. Every restaurant has a culture and every church has a culture. It is either built intentionally through God's word or is built accidentally through just letting things slip over time. And and, and what you would experience is you could visit any church in this area, any evangelical church, and we have the same foundational doctrinal beliefs, yet there is such a different experience. Why is that? It's culture. You walk in here and you're like, man, there's something, there's something about this culture. Now, what Paul is laying out here and explaining and what we can take away is that culture is not so much what's declared but what's experienced. And there are two significant things that shape your culture. Uh, what you tolerate, 
are what you don't tolerate and what you emphasize. What you, ta- what you allow to just continue on and carry on in your friendships, in your business, in your church, because it, it feels scary to address or deal with. And what you emphasize, no, this is what's important. This is what we celebrate. This is why we make such a big deal about baptism, because we are joining together with all of heaven and celebrating in these moments. And what's happening in Galatia is there's this cultural shift taking place within the church that Paul knows is toxic, and it's dangerous. And so he, he spends a lot of time talking about what should not be tolerated. He talks about things like spiritual bullying, legalistic tribalism, ignoring sin, division among the church. He's like, no, there's going to be a shift that takes place that is not gospel-centric. That's going to get us away. And so again, as a church, as you mature, as you grow, you have to keep fighting to keep the main thing the main thing, the foundational things. And so what does Paul lay out? What does he emphasize as we go through this epistle? Well, he emphasizes the centrality of the gospel. We see over 14 times he uses the word euangelion, no, we, the gospel is what we're built on, not the, not the law. He, he emphasizes this idea that we are to be a people of grace. He uses this word grace seven times. We are spirit-filled living. We should live by the spirit. 22 times he uses it in this epistle. And, and ultimately, kind of where it builds and where it goes is this idea of, man, we need to be the culture of this church. We need to be governed by the law the law of love, which is the law of Christ. And we see five times where he uses this. And so as we uh, celebrate our nine years and we move into our 10th year, I I want this. I'm I'm so grateful that we've started this year off by working through this letter because it sets a framework, a powerful framework for what we're gonna be all about. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn to Galatians chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles spaced out in the tables around, or I'm gonna put the verses up on the screen so you can follow along. Galatians six, starting in verse one, it says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over your keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Do not be deceived. Uh, Jump down to verse seven. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. And if we do not not give up, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who who are of the household of faith. Lord, as we come to your word, would you shape our church by your word? Would we be a people who follow the law of Christ? Would we be a people who restore one another? Would we be a people who bear each other's burdens? Would we sow into the goodness of the kingdom? And Lord, would we not grow weary in doing good in the call that you have for us in this moment of time in this city? We pray this by your spirit, by the nature of your son. Amen. So what is the culture that Paul is building here in Galatians wants us to have? Uh, it's one where we live by the law of Christ. 
Now, there's this kind of play on words happening right here. Um, this, he uses this phrase, law of Christ, one of, a very unique phrase in, in the scriptures. And what's happening is if you read through this letter to the Galatians, this word, the Greek word for law, it's actually used 32 times. And it's like law, 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 right? Okay. Over and over. And almost every time, 31 out of the 32 times, it has almost like a negative connotation. No, this is a thing of the past. Stop living living by the law, stop living by the law. And he, then he makes this shift here in verse six. And he's like, you know what? You want a law to live by? You want to be legalistic? Be legalistic about Jesus. Be legalistic about the law of Christ. Be legalistic about the law of love. Be legalistic about restoring those who are caught in sin. You want to live by the law? Live by the law that bears one another's burdens. Be legalistic about sowing the kingdom good. This phrase, living the law of Christ, it means that we model our whole life and our church and our identity around Jesus, not a bunch of rules. It's about a person rather than a code. It's about a relationship rather than a religion. It's centered on love rather than law. Jesus put it like this. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You, you wanna share a testimony with a hurting world? Love your brothers and sisters around you. Man, restore them, show grace, carry their burdens. And at Galatia, this pack of wolves comes in and they seek to tear apart and devour this community that has been built upon the gospel. And Paul says, that's not who we are. Man, we fight against that. We resist, and we are gonna be a community not marked by rules, but by the law of Christ, which is the law of love. So how do we do that? Well, he lays a couple out here. First, we are restorers. We are to be restorers. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, this phrase transgression, it's the word peripatoma. And it can, be, uh, it can be translated as trespass or sin. It means you, you step across the line. You, you cross over the boundaries. You reject what God has laid out. It, it, it means sin. If anyone is caught in sin. And so, you know, you may be hearing like, whoa, whoa, whoa okay, okay, let me get this right. All right, so we're here to celebrate all that God has done. We're here to party and, uh, you know, eat our pips till we feel sick because it's like unlimited. Yes, I think it is unlimited. And, uh, you know, we're going to take our selfies and our pictures and all this. And, and, and you know, there's cotton candy and there's popcorn. And the preacher gets up and the first thing he talks about, sin? Seriously? Like, that's what we're doing on Celebratory Sunday? You better believe it. <laughs> you know why? Because we're a church built upon the good news of Jesus Christ. And you cannot understand the good news if you don't first understand the bad news. We will never shy away from talking about sin because the church is not called to be a museum for saints but a hospital for sinners. That we would gather together and say, man, we are weary and wounded from this broken world. But we have a role to play in restoring and what's coming about. And, and it is an un, un understanding our sin that we are able to grasp hold of God and his grace and the beauty of his grace. Um, a couple of months ago, my kids, they got, uh, my kids are nine and seven. Dax is nine and Nova's seven. And uh, they got in a fight. 
And uh, any of you guys who have raised kids or been parents or been around children, you know that as soon as there's a fight between two kids, you basically have to have a degree, a degree in forensic science to be able to understand what just took place, right? You set up the caution tape. You start taking statements. You're like, well, okay, what did you say? What did, what did, you, it's just chaos. You don't know what happened, you know? And then you start assessing the situation. You're like literally like looking for evidence of what, you know, what actually took, who wronged who here, you know? And the answer is always they both wronged each other, right? Okay. But anyways, in this particular instance, you know, they're fighting and I'm like, what's that? What, what happened? And, and Dex is like, she scratched me. And so I'm like, kind of, you know, gra- I grab his arm. And, and, and I'm, I'm assessing the situation, and I see he has this scratch on his arm that he's bleeding from. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> okay, now, now, secretly, as a girl dad, I'm like, you get it, girl, right? You know, <laughs> right? Okay. But as a responsible parent in the situation, I'm like, Nova, Nova, look what happened. And she sees the blood and she gasps, <gasps> right? And so I take Doc, Dax away and I you know, get him patched up, you know, perform minor, minor surgery with a Band-Aid. And, and I go back, and I see Nova, and she's sitting on the couch, her knees to her chest, her arms around her knees, and she's like rocking back and forth. And I'm like, Nova, how you doing? And she just kind of stares off, and then she looks up at me, and she goes, I'm a monster! <laughs> she's like rattled by this, by that she just drew blood on her brother, and she just starts weeping and crying, I'm a monster! And, you know, we're, we're driving, so, we, you know, we need to leave, so we get in the car, and we're, we're continuing this conversation. But he, here's what I need you to understand and see. This is a powerful moment in Noah's life because we were able to have this conversation about confession and repentance and grace and restoration and forgiveness. It took her getting to this point of awareness that, she, no, I can actually hurt people. And we were able to say, you know what? You know what the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, Nova? That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What does righteousness mean? That we would have a restored relationship with God. See, what we have to understand is the first wave of gospel transformation. The gospel transforming our lives comes when we recognize the brokenness of our sin. And we're gonna talk about sin as a church, even on celebratory anniversaries, because the good news of the gospel declares that Jesus has done something about our sin, amen? Amen. He set us free. He's paid our price. And so as a church, we have a role to play in restoring people who are caught in sin back to God and his family through the power of Jesus. says, if anyone is caught in any trespass, now, this doesn't mean we go around like everybody walks in, hey, welcome, sinner, you're a sinner. Oh, you did this fall, right, okay? But what it means is that as a church, we are called to rescue and restore through the redemptive power of the gospel. And so if we are gonna, when someone is trapped in sin, we have to understand we are restorers, we are not ignorers. That is not loving, that is not helpful. Our culture and our community has told us that the law of love means that if we call anyone on our sin, we're being unloving. But I'll tell you what's unloving, doing nothing for somebody who is feeling trapped. That is unloving. Imagine, imagine you're at home and, and, and a friend is coming over. You're in the kitchen, kind of getting ready and prepared, and you know, knock on the door, they open it, they're like, we're here. And you're like, come on in, you don't see them yet. 
And you know, here you hear them take off their jacket and kind of put their stuff down. And then as they walk in, you hear this like dragging. They're they're walking in and you're like, what is that? What is that noise? It, it just you feel this like this dragging noise over and over. And as they come around the corner, you see a, the the noise of the dragging is there is a bear trap around their foot. And they're dragging it on your new hardwood floors. And it's making this kind of grinding noise. And at first, you're like, you're about to say something like, um, your foot is caught in a bear trap, right? But then you're like, but they didn't say anything. Like, that's kind of an awkward way to go about. So uh, maybe I'll give it a minute, right? So you kind of sit down and you... You get your coffee set up, and you're, you're sitting down, and uh, you, you can't, it just keeps catching your eye, and like, you're like, there's literally like blood like seeping through their sock, but they haven't brought it up yet, you know? Like, you can, you can actually, as time goes on, you can kind of start to smell the wound fester a little bit, right? And it's just like obvious, but you're like, I, I just, like, I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just start getting together for coffee. And, like, if they wanted help, like, they would speak up, wouldn't they? They would, they would say something. Like, they haven't asked. If they asked, I would, like, totally help them. And if I take it off, like, that's going to be painful, right? They seem to be, like, they seem to be at a good point. They, they seem comfortable <laughs> and where they're at. And so I don't want to cause this pain, and it's going to create this awkwardness, so I'm just going to let it slide. You guys are all looking at me like I'm an idiot, right? Because you're like, I would never do that. Yeah, you would if it was socially acceptable to be caught in a bear trap. Because you have friends and loved ones and people in your lives that are caught, that are trapped in trespasses and sin right now, but you won't speak up because you're afraid of what it will do to the relationship. You have friends who feel like they're drowning in their sin, and yet we won't speak up. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Let me tell you right now, when people walk through the doors of this church, you know why they walk through? They're looking for hope. And, and at church, we are hope dealers. We have the source of hope. We have the only escape that can ever offer. And the law of love demands that we are courageous enough not to ignore or affirm the trespasses and sins of your brothers and sisters that are, they're caught in that we would be restorers, not ignorers. But secondly, we are restorers, not destroyers. It says a brother will restore gently. And the only way we can do it with a gentleness is if we actually understand that we aren't above that person, that we are just as capable of that a similar or equal sin. This is why we have to watch ourselves so that we won't be tempted. James Dunn, theologian, he put it like this. He says, the test of spiritual maturity is, is dealing kindly not just with the unwitting and regard, regretted mistake, but with the fellow Christian whose deliberate, unacceptable conduct has come to light despite his or her attempts at concealment. Are we gentle then? Are we kind and are we loving? See, the goal is restoration, not destruction. 
And so you see these people going out, you know, with their signs yelling, you're going to hell, yelling at people. Like, does that, does that align with what Scripture calls us to here? No. So we cannot ignore sin, but we're called to restore people, not destroy them. The word here for, the, for destroy, or sorry, restore, is a term used of, dislo- of setting a dislocated bone back into its place. And what we have to understand is in the biblical metaphor that as a church, we are a body. When someone is living in or trapped in their sin or their addiction or their brokenness, they're not functioning in the way that they need to function in order to live their calling and play the role in our body. We are missing out. And they are missing out. And it's just as important for them as it is for our community. So how how do we actually restore someone with gentleness? Just a few things. One, you got to relate with them humbly. You have to understand you're just as capable. I remember sitting down before, before somebody one time and confessing to them. And I didn't know what it, they were going to do. I didn't know how they were going to respond. It was a dean of a college. And, and I was like, I don't know if I'm getting kicked out of this college. I don't know, I don't know what's happening. And he looked at me, and the first thing he said, he, he goes, brother, I've sat in that chair. He's like, I've been exactly where you are right now, and I'm gonna walk with you through this process. There's this humility to this connection and relation. Second, confront clearly and kindly. Do not sugarcoat the poison death pill they are consuming. Don't say things like, oh, it's just okay, it's not a big deal. Uh, It is not loving to affirm people on their path to eternal separation from God. Man, that we would come around, no, this is destroying you. So you need to be clear and kind in that, and in, in actually addressing it. But give a clear path to walk. If the goal is restoration, there should be a clear path of what restoration looks like. So actually spend some time thinking about, hey, what does this look like? Do some research. Spend time reading and in prayer and give them a road to walk and make sure that road leads to Jesus because he is our only hope. Oftentimes, when people feel trapped, it's, it's because they don't know how to get out, right? Imagine walking to somebody trapped in a pit and you're like, hey, I feel like you should get out. <laughs> and they're like, they would call you something that would end with Sherlock, right? You know, they're just like, obviously, like, I want to get out. Like, I can't. Like, to be the church means that we, we don't always get in the pit with them. We have to be careful about it, but we hand the rope down. We give them a path out. And then fourth, I, I just encourage you to restore communally. And what I mean by this is you, act, you call people out in private, but you acknowledge restoration in the crowd. You say, no, no, no. Uh, when you call out your friend on her gossip, and then your other friends bring it up again, you're like, hey, actually, I, I talked to her about that, and she acknowledged that, and we're working on it together, and, and I'm seeing progress and growth. And it's like, wow, okay, you're restoring community, communally. This is why baptism is communal. I've had people say before, like, I want to get baptized, but I don't want to do it um, in front of people. Can I do a private baptism? And the answer is no, <laughs> because, because it's a communal declaration, I'm repenting of my old life. And a communal declaration, I am raised with Christ, and we are welcoming him into the family. We, we are celebrating in this moment. See, all of this, if we are a church that approaches it this way, it creates a culture of restoration in our church. And we, as we build a culture of restoration, we can begin to be a church that recognizes the second thing, that we are burden bearers. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
that means is we don't heap up burdens, we bear them. See, Paul is addressing these spiritual leaders that are coming along and they're adding to the burdens of people who are trying to follow Jesus by adding external requirements rather than spiritual resources. And Paul is telling the Galatians that rather than placing themselves under the burden of law fulfillment, they should be lifting the burdens of others. What's crazy is Jesus, he actually had to have the same battle. He was dealing with the religious leaders of his day, and he says, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders. But they, they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You, I need you to hear this. Sometimes the reason people don't come to church is not because they're a bunch of sinful heathens, right? You're a bunch of sinful heathens. You all came today. Sometimes the reason people don't come to church is because they showed up looking for help and they walked away burdened with guilt and shame. Church, listen to me. We should not make it difficult for outsiders who are trying to turn to God. We should not make it difficult for outsiders who are trying to turn to God. We are burden bearers. And when people walk in, this is a, needs to be a place of grace. This needs to be a place of truth, a place of love that we say, no, you don't have to carry this by yourself anymore. You don't have to walk alone in this anymore. A number of years ago, um, my sister was going through a uniquely painful season in her life. And uh, her and her husband had been disconnected from, from church for quite a while. And uh, so I, I found this church in their city and I was like, oh, you guys gotta go check this out. Like, go, 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 go visit this church, go check it out. And so, uh, so they did. And um, like, like anybody who's new to a church, what do you do? You show up like 15 minutes early because you're like, I don't even, where do I park? Like, where do I park my kid? Like, what, what, like uh, uh, I, I have no idea. So they, they go, they're about 15 minutes early and they walk into the sanctuary. And uh, um, my, my sister is about eight months pregnant at this time. And, a, and this sweet old lady walks up and, should, and, and she goes, oh, are you new here? And my sister's like, yeah. See, what this lady didn't understand was... Um, that our mom had just passed. And my sister was feeling like life was just hanging on by a thread. She's, she's, she's carrying this baby that she knows her mom will never get to meet. She, she's grieving all these things in her life. She'd been disconnected forever. She's like, okay, like, we'll give church a try again. And so this lady walks up and says, oh, are you new here? And she says, yeah, we are. And the lady looks at her and she says, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, you, you can't be in the sanctuary before church because it's set aside for prayer. Um, I need you to leave and come back. That's what religion does. It's a system that breaks and disconnects. It heaps burdens on people. I can almost guarantee you as they sat there and prayed, they were praying, Lord, would you bring hurting and broken people into our arms, right? And then God delivers that prayer and they're like, oh, sorry, you're not following our rules. You see what I'm saying? Like God is not interested in our religious systems. He cares about how we bear the burdens of hurting and broken people. This has to be our posture as a church, that, that God, when he brings people into our family, we don't like, oh, you're broken, you don't do this. You're, no, we say, you are welcome here. We, we want to bear the burdens that you are carrying. Our church better be a community where anyone can walk through those doors. Whether those people have pink hair and tattoos or wear a suit and tie, they are welcome here. 
Whether they're the first person in their family to ever attend a church or their grandfather was a preacher, they are welcome here. I don't care if they feel out of place. I don't care if they disagree with what we teach. I don't care if they grew up an atheist. I don't care if they've been rejected by society or church or their family. I don't care if they're confused about their identity. I don't care if they show up hungover from the night before. I want them at church and we're gonna welcome them them here. And if that's you, you are welcome here. The, the wounds and the hurt of your past is not the way of Jesus. The church is to be a community that welcomes and ushers people in. I, I remember I reached out to a buddy one time and, and he was disconnected from church and so I was going to a city and I was like, dude, let's go to church, man. I'll go with you. He's like, all right, man, like, let, let's go. And so we walk into this church and, uh, and we're walking in and he's disconnected, right? So he's, got, he's, he's kind of dressed a little, you know, a little shabby and he's got a, got a hat on. And as we're walking into their auditorium, their sanctuary, right? Uh, the, an usher stands in front of him. And, and by usher, I don't mean like 90s R&B, I mean like 90s Baptist church, okay? Usher stands in front of him, right? And he looks at him and he goes, you're not walking in here with that hat on. That's why we got big doors, you know what I'm saying? Like, if anybody ever does that to you, just Jesus, you come and come on in, okay? You're welcome, right? We should not make it difficult for outsiders who are trying to turn to God. And I, sh- I shared this phrase one time with somebody. You want to pull that up? I shared this phrase one time with somebody. And they're like, I don't know, Jason, you're kind of watering down the gospel. That's soft. Like, that's weak. That feels spineless. And I'm like, no, that's actually Acts 15, I'm just quoting the Bible. I just changed outside. I, I just changed where it says Gent. Can you pull that up? I just changed where it says Gentiles to outsiders. So, like, this is scripture. We should not make it difficult for outsiders who are trying to turn to God. This is the kind of church that we are to be. We don't add to people's burdens, we bear them. When somebody walks through these doors, we ask, man, what burdens are wearing, weighing them down, and how can I help them carry it? And you realize that this is what Jesus has done with us, right? Jesus says to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As the church, we are the presence of Christ here on earth. And we are to represent him as we show people what it means to bring our burdens to him and receive his grace. And, and here's the thing, and this, this is the part that's gonna make you really uncomfortable. You guys are all like rally behind that. You're like, yes, absolutely. Um, you know what that means for you? Uh, you have to let other people help you. You have to enter in and be known. You have to show up and join a city group. You have to go back and receive prayer. Otherwise, we're just trying to be our own savior. And we are robbing people of the joy of living the law of Christ. This is what the kind of church that Paul was building, this is the kind of church that we're gonna be. Now we're gonna live the law of Christ and we're gonna live the law of love. And we're gonna restore one another and we're gonna bear each other's burdens. But he ends this section with this. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Um, 
somehow we've reached this point in our world where literally everything is criticized. Have you noticed this? Like nothing can happen good without people being like, mm, actually, right? I was, I, was, I was reading about the, the revival in Asbury and, uh, and, you know, somebody, and then there was just all this like criticism behind it, you know, and somebody kind of just made this post like, Lord, send revival. God sends revival. Mm, actually, I have some concerns, you know, right? <laughs> I, I watched this, th- there was this video um, that the, probably the most um, well-known, uh, most views YouTube star right now, he's a guy named Mr. Beast, okay? And uh, he, he's really enjoyable and entertaining. All the old people are like confused and all the young people are like, that's my guy, right? Okay, okay. I, and uh, he, he, he just goes around and he just does these incredibly good things. I, there was about a month ago, there was a video where he had learned that about half of the world's blindness is actually curable through a simple cataract surgery. It's a 10-minute surgery that happens, but people can't afford it. And so half of the world's blindness is curable in 10 minutes, but they just don't have the money. And so here's a guy who gets millions and millions and millions of views. This video alone had 118 million views. And he uses that advertising revenue to pay for these people's surgery to have, have their blindness cured, okay? So a 1,000 people, and he's just going through it. It's like moving. It's like emotional. Shortly after that video comes out, there's an article by TechCrunch, and the article came out criticizing him, said, Mr. Beast's blindness video puts systematic ableism on display, right? Like, where are we at, at, a, at as a society when we're literalizing, literally criticizing people healing the blind, you know, Right? <laughs> I guarantee those blind people weren't you know, like, oh, that's, that's ableism. I, I, I disagree, sir. You know, I, no, please. See, here's the thing. The more good we do, the more opposition and criticism we will face. The more kingdom investment, the more worldly opposition. Understand that, church, but we can't grow weary in doing good because we do not sow for man's approval. We sow for kingdom fruit. Amen. And so as a church, we're going to pour out. We're going to preach the good news of the gospel. We're going to love on people. We're going to say, no, there is a different way. And I don't care what criticism comes our way. We are going to continue to do that. Amen? This is what it means to be the church. And what Paul is saying here in Galatians 6, 9, is there's no effort that we have sown into the things of the Spirit is in vain. No prayer. No time of Scripture. No serving, no sacrifice, no helping our neighbor, no aid to the poor, no declaration of the gospel is void of effect in God's economy. We pour out. And we're not the ones who can make it fruitful. We're the ones who plant the seed. And God's the one who says, I'm gonna make that grow. Our responsibility as a church is to walk in obedience and to love that kind of people and declare the truth of the gospel, and to lift up the name of Jesus. Any work that we have done for the good of others is seed sown in eternal soil, and it cannot fail to matter whether we see it or not. Because the truth is, there are plenty of times where we feel like we're gonna fall short, or we feel like we actually did fall short. A a, a little less than a month ago, there was a guy named Zach, And he got up to preach at a chapel for the small seminary in Asbury, Kentucky. Now, now this is interesting because uh, Zach was a former pastor. And the biggest thing he struggled with was his sermons. 
He just, he, he just never felt like he was good enough. He never felt like he could communicate the way that he, he wanted to. He never felt like he could connect with people in a powerful way. And so Zach was a former pastor, which means at one point he felt the call, but somewhere along the way he's like, I, this is not, I'm not made for this. I can't, I can't do this. And so uh, he, he was an assistant soccer coach for the men's soccer team at Asbury University. And so he was asked to come speak at a chapel. And nervously he got up there and he preached a sermon and he sat down and he hated it. Uh, he pulled out his phone and he texted his wife, latest stinker, I'll be home soon. This is the chapel in which God chose to spark revival at Asbury. And I remember reading that and just feeling overwhelmed and so moved because I've been there. I know those moments, and you do too, where you're like, like I'm pouring all that I have out, and I just feel like I'm falling short. I feel like it's not good enough. Yet this assistant soccer coach's latest stinker was exactly what God wanted to use to spark life-transforming revival in the hearts and souls of young people across our nation. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. Listen to me. Even when you feel like you are falling short, God is reaping goodness with your kingdom investment. And so one day we will see the whole picture of what he's doing and what he's done. We will discover that our human definition of failure was far removed from God's. So many of the things that we thought were great success will mean shockingly little in the realm of eternity. And the seeds that we thought we'd sown in vain will turn into a harvest of shockingly beautiful goodness. So rise, let's not give up. Let's not look back and be like, oh, cool, like the nine-year mark, we're good now. It's been a good run. <laughs> let's not look around and say, man, this is, this is hard. We get more opposition now more than ever. Maybe we shouldn't do this. Let's not give up. We have been called to be agents of blessing in a dark city, in a dark time. Yet, we are the ones who God has called to shine like stars. We are the ones who God has called to be a light to the world. In this moment in human history, with all its pain, all its sickness, all its wars, all its fighting, all its division, God has divinely placed you here in your place of work, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your family. Why? That you wouldn't grow weary in doing good. That you would be a restorer. That you would be a burden bearer. And as a church, we would declare the goodness of our Savior King, Jesus. And so people, man, people ask me all the time, did you imagine this is where you would be nine years in when you first started? And it answers the same, not a chance. Are you kidding me? A home in the, literally in the middle, like you draw a dot in the middle of Gresham. God's like, there you go. I want you to be a beacon of hope. Hundreds of people being baptized. There's going to be, between our nine years, two, 250, 260 plus people baptized after today. 
Thousands have walked through these doors and heard the gospel of grace. Dozens of leaders have been raised up to lead and disciple others. We see marriages flipped upside down and transformed. We see wounds healed. But I don't want to just look back. I want to look forward. I want to say, what is next, God? And imagine what he's going to do if we keep going, if we don't grow weary. So let's keep preaching Jesus. Let's keep loving the lost. Let's keep praying for our city. Let's keep bearing one another's burdens. Let's keep serving those around us. And let's keep worshiping our Savior. For in due season, we will reap a harvest beyond what we could ever imagine. Jesus, this is your church. And we want to live the law of Christ. We want to be dealers of hope. We want to be restorers to your family. We want to be burden bearers. And Lord, would we not grow weary from opposition? Would we not grow weary from our own brokenness and weakness? But would we see a movement of your Holy Spirit in our church and in our city? That we would declare you, that we would worship you, that we would praise you. And Lord, one day we'll look back through the lens of eternity and be able to see the harvest that you were bringing out through these seeds of obedience being sowed. Lord, we're just getting started. May it all be for your glory and your good. Amen.